What is up, everybody? Welcome to Funkatopia Live. Our topic tonight is princes, uses, and lovers. We're going to be talking about women that kind of came into Prince's life and either had a major influence on his music or his writing or just took him down a path for a minute or two. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, which should be pretty amazing. And it's going to be a very long show. So I just want to go ahead and preface that with that. Um, but we we had a couple of pieces of information that we needed to talk about in the pre-show, which we covered. And uh, hopefully you guys have an opportunity to uh, to check that out. But anyways, welcome to Funkatopia Live's Valentine's Day special. Instead of our normal Tuesday night, as you can see, we are here doing our first Monday night broadcast ever, I think. I think my, I may, may have done a show on Monday. I'm not, I don't remember, but our show will remain on Tuesday nights. So this is just a one-off for the week. Uh, I realize that this is happening the day before Valentine's Day, but that is by design for a, for, by just obviously for a couple of reasons. The first reason being that both of us uh, myself and Jeff Page, who was not with us tonight, uh, have Valentine's Day plans. So we got to keep the peace in our households and whatnot. So we we kind of moved it to Monday night. Maybe we are your Valentines. We would be happy to be your Valentine, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it's it's just the way that kind of ball rolls. Also, also as I mentioned, Jeff Page is off tonight. Uh, gave him the night off. He had a hectic schedule, and um, you know the fact is that tonight will be will be pretty much me talking the entire time and so it's just not a very good use of his time so if you're here for jeff page i'm sorry he is off tonight <laughs> so all that being said and again tonight we are going to be doing uh the one and only princes muses and lovers is what we're going to be talking about and it's going to be a night of fun so we have a lot to cover tonight we wanted to do something that kind of had a gravitational pull on the topic of love and so tonight's show is princes muses and lovers okay so we're gonna dig deep and i, I i've been getting emails and chats and people texting me and saying oh is someone someone gonna be in there or am i gonna be in there or is someone so gonna be in there and this guy so i, I wanted to kind of set some ground rules here for what we're going to cover here. This we're going to be digging deep into some of Prince's most public and unique relationships with the women in his life. Not all of the women that we'll discuss tonight will be of the romantic nature. Hence the muses part of it. Some of the women that we discussed came into his life and just simply just had an, a major impact on his music. So we're, we're mixing them. We're mixing them all up. So it's important to know this is really, really important to know that we will not be talking about every woman that has been in his life. That is just simply not possible. It's just not possible. And we also will not be including anyone that was in a relationship with him that was not out there publicly, or there's no documentation of relationships. It's just, we just can't, it you just can't do it. It's just not, we, I can't, I can't put something out there that's, 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 Many would consider rumor or conjecture whether I believe it to be true or not. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just you got to understand the kind of uh, yeah. It's just oof, it's a lot. It's just a lot. So again, nothing of rumor or conjecture. And there are going to be some artists that um, 
I, I could drizzle in here like Martika, Moni Love, Stevie Nicks, Shaka Khan, um, uh, Tamar, Janelle Monet, Sheena Easton, Nona Gay, et cetera. Those, those are just women that were just in for, um, you know, they, they had some influence on him and, but I don't know if, if they kind of really fell into a muse category. He just worked with them for a small period of time. And again, just for the sake of time, I just had to, I, I had to whittle it down. And so I just want to go ahead and apologize to people who were like, Oh my gosh, I wanted to see you talk about Shaka Khan. Um, I just, I, I can't, I just can't do it. So it's just too much, but Again, these are the women that really changed things for him musically in various ways, or at least took him down a, a pretty serious path for a good minute. And again, since this is, if, if, if we're talking about notes, once this gets posted with all the verbiage and whatnot, just 27 pages of muses and lovers in a 14 point font. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to try my best to just kind of go through it reasonably quick and also try to keep an eye on the chat area. Um, <laughs> Adriana says that's enough without the hypothetical. Uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, also, let me just say, uh, I'm doing this in chronological order and I'm doing it as best as I possibly can. Uh, the chat area will kind of be more for you to kind of chat amongst yourself. But again, without Jeff Page at the helm tonight watching chat, I can only do so much. I just, there's only so much that I can do. So um, let's just, let's just kind of get into it. Let's begin, shall we? And let's start in the 70s. Again, this is Princes, Muses, and Lovers. So let's talk about the 70s. And we'll start with the one and only Kim Upshur. All right. Um, Kim Upshur ultimately comes first in this mix because they, and again, I, I'm trying to keep with chronological order here. They were high school sweethearts. And one of Prince's high school classmates said that Prince even did a film project about her. Um, and uh, he said he had a crush on a girl named Kim Upshur. So the movie was about him trying to get the girl. Paul Mitchell played the team quarterback. And every time Prince was with the cheerleader, Paul Mitchell would come by and push him out of the way and walk away with the girl. For the story, in the story that Prince had written for this film, Prince went, Prince went to the library and studied books on Kung Fu. And for the ending of this movie that he created, uh, according to this, his classmate, he said, Prince pulls this Kung Fu move and walks away with the girl. <laughs> and that was Prince's film project. Ultimately, he won the girl in real life also. Some of you may not realize that you've seen Kim Upshur. If you've never, don't even know who this is, um, you, you, may, you may recognize her from this scene here where she is a waitress in Purple Rain. And uh, if you remember the scene in Purple Rain where Morris Day gives her a $20 bill and says, keep the change. And then he leans over to Jerome and says, Jerome, get my change. That was Kim. That was Kim Upshur. Uh, Upshur would also end up being roommates, believe it or not, roommates with Lisa Coleman in 1978 and would help Prince decorate his first house. But the beginnings of his fame had women knocking down his door, as we all know. And after the release of his second album, Right On Magazine asked Prince if he had a girlfriend. And he said, referring to Kim, I had one, but she left me. I wrote some songs about it on the album. The interviewer then said that there were plenty of women who would take her place in a minute. And then Prince said, that's why she left me. So one of those songs he wrote about her is the track that you may know called Still Waiting. 
the one that goes, I'm so alone and brokenhearted. It ain't like my life has ended, but more like it never started, blah, 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 blah. Um, so she actually did inspire quite a bit of music and songs that really kind of laid into heartbreak. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Upshur died of a brain aneurysm in 2015, and it's been suggested that Prince paid for her funeral. And Jill Jones said in an interview with Huffington Post that they stayed friends throughout. She was the kindest, most patient, and supportive person for him. She lived in the same house as him, grew up with him, and that was his big crush from school. Kim was an unsung hero, in my opinion. Between Kim passing away and then that happened just months before the passing of Vanity, who we'll talk about later. I hate to kind of give a little bit of a foreshadowing, but those two love losses happening in such a short period of time were a huge hit for Prince. So people close to him said he definitely went kind of into like a little bit of a depression spiral after that show, um, which is the Prince Piano and Microphone show. Again, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about some of the some of the details and whatnot. Uh, whatnot. But um, he also then at that point in his life became very reflective of his past life and the people that he hurt in the past. So, um, but as far as his relationship with Kim, one of the women that caused issue was a woman, a woman named Nadira. Now, Nadira, N-A-D-R-A, a.k.a. N-A-D-E-A-R-A, a.k.a. N-A-D-A-R-A. Nobody knows exactly how to spell this woman's name, uh, but uh, who many simply don't know. She's just kind of this mystery woman that was one of the women that Prince got wrapped up with. And again, her name is Nadira. And Prince Vault even refer to the song as Nadera, N-A-D-A-R-A. But anyways, Prince was always inspired. And I think we know this about Prince is that he was always inspired to write music about the women in his life. But Nadira was a really big infatuation for him. And they reportedly dated between 1977 and 1979. And while, I guess, yeah, I said I wasn't going to do this, but, you know, it's kind of kind of be pigeonholed in uh, rumor and some in conjecture column. He actually has a lot of recorded pieces with Nadira and about Nadira. He wrote many songs about her and only one that I'm aware of has fall, fallen into the bootleg ether um, that's called Nadira. And as far as I know, and I could be wrong because maybe I just didn't dig, uh, dig so far, but uh, I'm going to play a clip of that lost track, just a clip of the song Nadira so that you can hear it. So let's, let's play that first so that you can get an idea of what that song sounded like. And uh, here it is. You may, may have never heard this before. Here you go. Check it out. But you, you were so cool That you made me feel like a girl Oh, Nadira You know that you know I love you, baby What are you gonna do? Oh, Nadira so that was a little clip of the song Nadira, and there's a lot of 
a lot of those types of demos. And this was when, before he really started to kind of get his, um, really started to get his recording chops because he would start recording outside of a studio in a lot of different cases. And that obviously is what that sounds like. There's probably a really great recording of it somewhere in the mix, but also out there in the same time period, you may have heard um, maybe on like something like a Prince giving type of broadcast. I don't know. There are multiple clips of Prince and Nadira doing these little fake interviews in the studio and just talking about being a trapeze artist and giggling and doing and just doing just kind of like the silly stuff that you probably used to do when you were a kid, you know, recording yourself, just goofing off or doing whatever. Um, some of which, again, you may have heard uh, on, in various places, but the, that is Nadira that you're you're hearing. And there's other ones that are out there, too, of uh, another woman as well. But. There is no known information of on Nadir. I have tried to find a picture of her. I've asked people, is there a picture of Nadir anywhere? And uh, no, it's just, it's just not, it's just not. But anyways, that was Nadira. That's the only one, the only woman that I do not have a picture of, but she was enough of a muse that um, kind of led him to start kind of create these really gushy, gushy love songs. And uh, speaking of which, that brings us to our next muse in the mix, which is a woman by the name of Patrice Russian. Yes, you know this. Come on. She, she always sends you forget-me-nots. Certainly you remember who she is. Uh, anyways, Patrice Russian was a woman that Prince was very smitten with. Uh, she is the inspiration behind his song, I Want to Be Your Lover. Uh, there was never any relationship she kind of falls into the muse category because there was never any relationship between the two but he was definitely obsessed with her he created some of his his two biggest hits actually were to her and even offered them both to her both were i want to be your lover and i feel for you and she listened to him and she didn't really kind of feel like they were um they didn't she didn't really feel like they were her style so she kind of turned them down ended up being really big hits for him so i guess he was okay with it um, the rumor about the songs being written about her were confirmed when the hits and B-sides collection came out and he actually confirmed it in the liner notes of that CD collection. And additionally, he added that in quotes, nothing came of it. Um, she is on this list because it's confirmed that she was an inspiration behind two of his biggest hits, but also helped him quite a bit on his debut album. And they actually met because the engineer, Tommy Vacari, who was working on both of their albums, uh, again, hers and uh, his debut album for you. And Tommy said, you guys should work together. You guys really kind of, you know, both multi-instrumentalists. You guys have the same styles. Uh, you should really kind of check, check, check each other out. So they met, they kind of talked, they kind of talked shop. And Prince actually needed help on some string arrangements for the song Baby. And he asked, Patrice to come in and to help since he wasn't sure how to get it down on recording. And so she came in and helped and they stayed in touch. She is obviously, as I mentioned earlier, best known for the song forget me nuts, but she is still to this day, a composer, a record producer, a multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter, a musical director. She is also an ambassador for artistry in the education of the Berkeley college of music and the chair of the popular music program at the USC Thornton School of Music. So <laughs> she's doing fine. She's doing fine. Absolutely fine. She doesn't, she's good. It's all good. Which brings us to our next muse, which was the one and only 
Gail Chapman. Now, huh, uh, trying to figure out where, where she kind of falls because um, there's, there's a relationship, but there's not a relationship, nothing sexual, but kind of sexual. It's, it, Gail just kind of falls in this really, really weird line. She was more of a muse than a relationship. She played keyboards with Prince starting back in 1978 during the early years and was eventually replaced by Lisa Coleman, which is when Prince kind of came on everybody's radar. But it was her, Gail Chapman, Andre Simone on bass, uh, Bobby Z on drums, and Matt Fink also on keys. Pretty, pretty raw band. And I wanted to make sure that I included Gail Chapman here as a muse for sure, because Prince's focus was to kind of through the lyrics of his music and through the songs and whatnot was really kind of to create a show that would be super sexually charged. That was going to be his gimmick. Everybody he knew in this whole marketing spin, think of every single major artist that, you know, every single one of them has some type of gimmick and Prince's gimmick was going to be a very, very highly sexually charged show. And he could easily do all of that by himself. And he did. I mean, you guys have seen some of the videos we've put on Facebook, you know, of him licking the guitar neck and stuff like that. And he, he could do all that stuff, but you have to give props to Gail Chapman who really helped him push through that sexual energy on the live performances, the stuff that was going on. I mean, they would just make out on the stage. He would be half naked. She would be in lingerie just scantily dressed in a lingerie top with no bra and they would be like deep passionate French kissing on the stage and just crawling and sweating all over each other. And it was just, it was just over the top. So based on some of the ways that Prince carried himself, a lot of people thought that Prince was gay. And the reality of it is, is that when you really don't get a lot of media and just people kind of see these random pictures of you just standing there in G strings and just kind of doing things that maybe a little bit, maybe deemed a little bit effeminate. It's, it just is what it is. People, you know, back in those days, you really didn't have much, there, there was no internet and people to kind of quickly come to your defense on Twitter. It just was, you know, people made up their mind and just kind of moved on from there, but he didn't really care what people thought that was pretty obvious, but it was Gail that helped Prince kick down that door and show the ladies that he was ripe for the picking. I mean, just right out of the gate. He, they were frequently engaging in highly sexual tension moments on the stage, uh, you know, just allowing him to kind of turn on the pheromones to everybody in the audience. It was always just kind of just haywire. Uh, it was like watching soft porn live right there on stage is what it was. And there was not any offstage relationship that I was able to uncover or divulge. But if you saw the show, you almost couldn't believe that there couldn't be. It's like, you saw that, right? There's no way that there's nothing going on. I mean, how could there not be? And apparently um, there just, there just wasn't. Um, but regardless, I guess as he even got more dirty than what she was helping him portray on stage, she decided to walk away as some of the material kind of got a little bit down, like the sister stuff. And, uh, you know, it just kind of, when he went down the path to become a dirty mind. Um, so when she decided to walk away, Prince found Lisa Coleman and Prince told Lisa, she can play her ass off, but she can't sing like you. So 
Her last last known location, her being Gail Chapman's last known location, was in Idaho. She's still playing various gigs and teaching music to kids, if you can believe that. She's not teaching any of this stuff to kids. But whatever she's doing is very family-friendly now. She still gigs to this day. Um, You can actually head to uh, my good friend over at funkandstuff.net, funkandstuff.net. And uh, he just got done. Uh, Scott Goldfine actually just did a really good in-depth interview with her. Um, and you, you got to check it out. Funkinstuff.net. If you really want to hear some more crazy stories about Gail Chapman, that's, that's where you go. He, he's done a really good interview. We should probably have her in the show in the, in the, at some point. We should. All right. That was the 70s, folks. Now let's move on to the 80s a very, very eventful decade of relationships for Prince. It's just, it is what it is. So, uh, but the honest truth is, let me take a drink of water here because we're about to move into the 80s. I mean, where do you start in the 80s? Trying to guess where relationships, uh, as I was kind of going through this, again, I'm, I'm trying to kind of maintain some type of chronological order and be a little bit more definitive for you guys. But, trying to guess where relationships started and where they ended and where they crossed paths. I, I just tried to do some in-depth research on each woman or women uh, lovers and muses are kind of interspersed here. But um, I would say if we're going to move into the eighties, yeah, Stacy says, better buckle up. You are correct. Elena says, grab snacks. I, <laughs> Yes, let's let's do that because we're moving into the 80s here and we are going to be starting with the one and only Susan Moonsey. Uh, Susan Moonsey, the little the, the the little cute little girl who would clutch onto the teddy bear in both Vanity Six and Apollonia Six. Prince and her were an item for a good long while. Um, and Prince kept her on the road with him pretty much everywhere that he went. Um, she is from Trinidad and Tobago, and she was born on January 21st, 1964. And she met Prince at a disco in 1980 when she was 16. And Prince wanted to put together a group at the time. He said, I'm going to put together a group and I, I want you to be, um, I want you to be in it. And the group is going to be called the hookers. And uh, I want uh, you in this band. Uh, also your sister, Lorene. She's kind of got the look. Uh, she's got the look. <laughs> no pun intended. Maybe it is. And Jamie Shoe. So that was going to be the group. And the group was going to be called The Hookers. And he had already had, you know, a batch of songs kind of written, which would eventually become Vanity Six Fair. But for right now, that was his vision, was to kind of create something called The Hookers. Now, Susan is here because Prince was very inspired by her. And is really what ultimately kind of kicked off his obsession with putting together a girl group. Um, he really wanted her to kind of be out front, but he he also knew that she kind of needed a little bit of support and maybe there needed to be somebody else in that lead role because she was kind of like a little bit of a shy, kicked back character. Um, and But similar kind of to what James Brown had done with the famous Flames. But in this particular case, Again, there's a sexual relationship, an actual sexual relationship that is going on between Susan Moonsey and Prince, and their relationship was very open and on again, off again, on again, off again. 
Um, and another reason is that according to Jason Draper's book, Prince Life and Times, she was also the inspiration behind the song When Doves Cry and Private Joy. Not sure if you knew that, but it's true. Susan Moonsey is apparently the inspiration behind When Doves Cry and Private Joy. And when the hookers as a concept didn't work out, he then ended up meeting Vanity. And not only would Vanity take over as the new group's lead singer, but the band would also carry her name and become Vanity Six. Now, he did try to get uh, Vanity to kind of join the hookers, and he wanted to call her uh, Vagina, I think it was. Uh, but it was like, this just isn't happening. And so it just became Vanity Six. Uh, and then what would end up happening is, is that because of the fact that Susan and Prince's relationship was very, very loose, what would end up happening is that Vanity would kind of swoop in to that picture and eventually pushed Susan out of the picture as far as being his sole girlfriend. And for whatever reason, she really didn't mind much because they still had liaisons even through the vanity period and all the way up to Susanna Melvoin, which we will also talk about shortly, but she kept on the road with Prince and also ended up singing with Apollonia six as well. And again, we'll also talk about that. So you have a little bit of an, a four, um, you have, you've been, uh, you've been foreshadowed about a few folks that we're going to be talking about here soon, but nowadays what Susan doozy, what Susan doozy, what's Susan doing? Susan is married with two kids, goes back and forth between Trinidad and Florida, but primarily lives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And she runs a restaurant called the Hardy park bistro with her son. And she is also a real estate agent. So she's still out there. She's still doing her thing. And, uh, and that's another thing that I also tried to do here for the evening is not just tell you a little bit about the relationship between whoever I'm talking about and Prince, but also a little bit of a background story if time permits and to kind of give you an update about where they are now. That was very, very difficult because some of these folks just kind of disappeared. Um, all right. So obviously you got a little bit of a taste of who's to come up next in this mix and that next person is the one and only Vanity. Now, Vanity, born January 4th, 1959 in Ontario, Canada, where she was a model, singer, and actress. And Vanity had a lot of, um, well, everybody knew that, I think, over time, everybody kind of knew that she had a lot of um, dependency issues. And uh, hold on a second. And but as well as emotional and psychological issues growing up, her father died when she was 15 years old. And to kind of give you an idea of that relationship between her and her father, um, she told Jet Magazine in 1993 that her father physically and verbally abused her for years, which gave her a negative self image. And she said, and This is a quote For 15 years, he beat me badly. I wish I could see my father in heaven, but I won't. He's in hell. Yike. <laughs> That's Wubba. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Vanity had small roles in some B movies until Prince saw her with Rick James and basically stole her away from him at the 1980 American Music Awards. And that's when Prince wanted to quickly use her in a girl group idea that he had called the Hookers. And again, he wanted he wanted Denise, who's Vanity, to have the name Vagina. And she said, that's not going to happen. I am not going to sing in a band and you're not going to, I'm not going to go with the name vagina pass 
hard pass just hard pass just saying uh hard pass uh anyways rick james was notably upset uh again they went with vanity and the band vanity six rick james was notably upset claiming that the girl group idea was his and that prince stole the idea from him obviously rick james would quickly fix that issue putting together the mary jane girls but not before prince struck first um, Prince and Vanity had a very burning sexual relationship with each other, and even his bodyguard Chick wrote in his book that during the 1999 tour, when Vanity Six was opening, that he would very frequently catch the two of them together in a variety of places when it came time for him to get on stage or to go out of town or even right before a show, in the shower, on the bus. He, Chick would regularly catch them uh, in various places. So Vanity and Prince would eventually part ways and she went on her way and she would later date pop singer, Adam Ant. You remember Adam Ant, Goody Two Shoes, Adam Ant, Motley Crue guitarist, Nikki Six, who she was engaged to. And she was, uh, at one point in time, she was kidding. And she said, uh, I can change my name back now to Vanity Six, S-I-X-X, uh, who's you know, obviously kidding. But anyways, but during her time with Prince, a lot of the inspiration he had for the songs on the Vanity Six album were a direct result of the sexual tension between him, Vanity, and Susan Moonzy. But he also wrote very sexually charged music uh, to accommodate the look that she kind of added and really kind of to kind of build out and help the kind of whole marketing of what he was doing with them with Vanity Six. Um, he knew that sex sell. That's just uh, what it was. She found religion early in the 2000s. But unfortunately, due to years of drug abuse, it finally took its toll, and she died in February of 2016 from a brain aneurysm. And unfortunately, Prince found out right before a Prince piano and a microphone performance. Um, the show actually got cut short because he found out and he was not able to do the full show because he was so upset. It was I believe it was Australia. I think probably some of you folks in the chat will be able to tell me. Um, but I believe it was the Australia show when he found out and he was very upset. And um, and there are many who also claim that Little Red Corvette is written about her, including Lisa Coleman. And um, plus, he dedicated that song to her after he found out about her death at the Prince Piano and Microphone show. But he didn't say that it was written for her. He just dedicated it to her that night. So maybe we will eventually find out the truth later on down the road when more books come out. <laughs> but for right now, uh, she obviously inspired quite a bit of music. Now, before we move on to the next muse, I am trying to kind of keep an eye on some of the the chat stuff that's going on. I do see some people saying that um, I do see some people saying that when doves cry and um, was not written about Susan Moonzy. Again, anything that I'm saying here tonight was straight from authors and other people's books. I am not Prince. I did not write some of these songs. And so I just kind of assume that some of these published authors that kind of put this stuff out there may have some type of insight or knowledge, or were able to speak to somebody directly about it before they put it into print, but I'm not making up any of this stuff on the fly. So if you've heard otherwise on any of the things that I'm talking about, that is perfectly fine. I get it. Um, it doesn't take away from the, Amaze balls of any of those songs or any, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, again, <laughs> no rumor or speculation here tonight. So, this is what it is. Let's move on to the next muse. Uh, actually, this is not really a muse. This is 
well, a muse and a lover, technically, and that is the one and only Jill Jones. Now, Jill Jones is a tricky one to place because she was involved with Prince off and on for a long time. And it and it's it's literally like a time window that spans across many women uh, when you really kind of look at it. Uh, it's also not really known if it were anything truly serious other than seriously passionate. Um, and again, off and on. Many know her from Purple Rain, but even before that, she was in 1999's Automatic video. So she was involved with Prince very early on. Uh, she was also on tour with Prince during that 1999 tour and sang background vocals for Prince and also Vanity Six. Matter of fact, on tour, when Vanity Six was performing, she was singing background vocals behind the curtain with the time. Um, it, it is what it is. Uh, she was there for quite a bit of it, and she is just an, um, she's an amazing individual. Um, as a performer, as a singer, as a she's just she's vicious <laughs> that's all there is to it after the tour as far as 1999 was concerned she moved the mini she moved to minneapolis and became prince's on and off again girlfriend um and again she sang on a lot of prince's projects including uh work with sheila e the time maserati apollonia six and if you listen you can also hear her vocals on prince songs like baby i'm a star we can fuck manic monday the dance electric hello uh, the extended version of Kiss, It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night, Good Love. I mean, tons of music, including tons of unreleased tracks that are always going to be sitting in there. Uh, and she's just, you know, she is what she is. She's a, she's a firecracker. We'll talk about that in a second. But she was a big inspiration for Prince simply because she just made herself always available and present to Prince. Whenever he needed somebody to come in and do a background vocal or just kind of come in and just slam it, she was always there. She made her. She made sure that if Prince needed anything, regard if it was acting in some silly movie like A Hard Life, something that would never be seen, or to lay vocals for something that she knew would never be released, it didn't matter. She was always there for him, and that really led her to be the inspiration for Prince's song "She's Always in My Hair." Because <laughs> she was always there. She is the inspiration for that song. She has also been in Graffiti Bridge as Prince's girlfriend, and she had a great solo album that is here on this image for those that are watching via Facebook or YouTube, a solo album that was released in 1987. It is phenomenal. Uh, Jill is still very much around, and she is a very politically charged lady on Twitter, like very volatile Trump-hating fireball type of just... <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, if, if you follow her on Twitter, it is just, she's brutal. Uh, she's very outspoken, uh, but I love her to death and her contributions to the purple world are just, you know, immeasurable. Uh, but again, she also continues to perform. She goes back and forth to London. Uh, you'll also see her pop up in clubs every now and then and kind of do a show. And um, she had another club album in uh 2016 called i am uh that you might be able to find somewhere it's not very easy to find but she's she's still doing her thing she just kind of stays the course and uh seems perfectly content in the way that uh she kind of does things so jill jones that's what we're talking about there all right let's move on to the next which is women w-o-m-e-n and of course we're talking about the one and only 
Wendy and Lisa. Now, I'm going to have to take a sip for this. Again, Jeff Page is off tonight, so it's all me kind of watching the chat, watching everything here, and obviously trying to make sure that um, kind of keep me out, keep me, keep me honest. That's uh, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. Wendy and Lisa will be the first of the muses where there really is nothing sexual going on, but a lot of muse worthy muse worthy moments. That's just point blank. Lisa Coleman replaced Gail Chapman early in Prince's career. We already talked about that kind of story. And Lisa was a firecracker for sure. Um, she added a lot of different melody lines to Prince's visions. Um, even though we all know that Prince almost never gave credit to other band members that may have contributed to a song. I mean, the story for another time, but I can tell you that I've been in bands where, um, you know, I may write a song, I may have a melody, I may have lyrics and I may be singing the song, but if a band is behind me and they're creating the drum parts and they're creating their own melody that's kind of interweaving with mine on a keyboard um, or, or guitar or bass line or whatever it is, they have contributed to that overall structure of the song and they should be given writing credit. That's just kind of how I feel about it. That really kind of wasn't the way Prince was. Prince would have these long extended jam sessions and anything that kind of happened, you were just kind of really hired help at that time, which was really kind of, it, it really didn't work out a lot very well for a lot of different artists. And, you know, some people kind of feel like, um, you know, Again, story for another time, even though I started into it. But anyways, Lisa Coleman was infatuated with another woman named Wendy Melvoin. And Prince happened to hear Wendy playing guitar in Lisa's hotel room and really was kind of interested in her playing style. Then one fateful night, Des Dickerson decided not to show up for practice and Prince asked her to step in for the night. And kind of the rest is history. And we can, this, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best politically correct way to say this, but we can kind of skip past the entire um, lesbian vibe that Prince kind of pushed onto them to play out in front of everyone on their stage performance. I mean, I don't think, you know, ultimately they didn't mind because they actually had, you know, affection and love for each other. But holy cow, did it really kind of prove to me, to really be a big distraction for the audience. <clears throat> because I think that truly caused most casual listeners that were listening to the music to really overlook their insane talent. I think there was so much show that was going on with Wendy and Lisa that, you know, especially those people that aren't musicians and aren't looking at what's going on musically that they're just paying attention to the spectacle that is Wendy and Lisa, that they're just overlooking what these girls are doing here musically to, to Prince's songs. It almost makes you kind of question. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going down rabbit holes. You guys know I do this every now and then, but it kind of almost makes you question if that was by Prince's design to make sure that he wasn't overshadowed. I mean, it was okay if they played along with his sexual banter or sexual themes, but musically he was the star. And, but for those of us listening, it, it was obvious for those of us who had musical inclinations on any musicians out there, you, you guys heard it, you saw it. This is not 
a biography of Wendy and Lisa. And the details I've just shared are kind of honestly a huge catastrophic failure in doing justice to these amazing women. I'm just going to put it out there. Wendy and Lisa's contributions are without a doubt, a huge part of the glue that pulled things together for a lot of Prince's music. Lisa's beautiful keyboard work and the feel for the flow was immaculate. Wendy's, Wendy's figure finger work on the frets was just, was just impeccable. And their contributions to the unreleased dream factory album. I'm using air quotes dream factory album probably would have shined a spotlight on them in a major way, especially considering that most of the songs on the album had very significant parts that were written by both Wendy and Lisa Prince. Cause when he was kind of putting together the dream factory album, he would send them like a skeleton of a song. And that dynamic duo would flesh out the songs for him. And they even had, they even had solo songs on the album as well. Prince was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you kind of do your thing. Um, and it was visions and colors respectively. So they were helping him put all these songs together and they were actually going to be right out in the front and they were actually going to get writing a decent amount of writing credit this time around. And then Prince fired them. And then he took the songs and he created sign of the times and some of which would actually eventually kind of trickle and fall into uh, becoming crystal ball, crystal ball sign of the times instead. And, and when sign of the times came out, didn't even give them a lick of credit for their contributions. Not even, I mean, not even a hint, not even a mention in the thank you section. So it is important for me, at least, um, for somebody who has every single one of their albums on vinyl and CD, including Girl Brothers and stuff that you can't, it's very, very difficult to find now. I have them all. For me, at least, to make sure that they receive their just due as an official muse of Prince because they were. In every single way, they helped Prince propel his music and in a really important uh part of Prince's career. That was the height of his career. And, and they are still creating and masterminding music to this day for movies and TV and have some incredible albums to boot. I mean, come on, fruit at the bottom, skeleton key porch. I mean, come on. I mean, Eroica is probably one of the best albums. Why wait for heaven is probably one of my all favorite. Just never mind. All props to Wendy and Lisa. These guys, <laughs> these guys, come on. Yeah. Just, Give it up, Wendy and Lisa. But let's move on <laughs> because you're going to get me fired up about Wendy and Lisa. Let's move on because this is a really, really good segue. Since the next person on this list of muses and lovers is Wendy's twin sister, Susanna Melvoin. Born January 26, 1964. And we go from muses to lover in this part of the story. Um. When Wendy became a member of the revolution during the beginning of the Purple Rain tour, Prince got an opportunity to meet and fall in love with the original twin, not twins, of his life, Susanna Melvoin. Uh, he heard her singing talents and immediately put her to work on as co-lead vocalist on his side project, The Family, uh, which you see the album cover here. Um, and he even wrote the song, Nothing Compares to You, about her. So it's one of the classic songs 
it's it's one of his a lot of people consider to be his best slow song ever it, I, maybe not in my opinion but a lot of people do it's a classic and one of his bigger hits um but unlike her twin sister she actually got writing credit on side of the times for, on the album that her sister wrote like a lot of the music of she actually got writing credit on side of the times for being co-writer of starfish and coffee since that source story of Cynthia Rose came from her, it was the actual story of, it was a little bit twisted and a little bit altered, uh, but it was a story of someone that she actually knew in school. And of course, she also sang many background vocals on many Prince songs. Um, but let's not forget the wealth of Prince songs that were written about her by Prince. Matter of fact, she probably in... <laughs> Out of all the women on this list, she is probably responsible for more, more songs written about her by Prince than maybe any other. I, I, well, I take that back. The exception of one um, that we'll talk about in the 90s. I think you know who that is. But, I mean, just talk about all the songs that were inspired that we know are documented as inspired um, by her, which would be Susanna's Pajamas, Nothing Compares to You, Big Tall Wall, Empty Room, Crystal Ball, My Baby Draws Pictures of Sex All Over the Walls in Graphic Detail, uh, If I Was a Girlfriend, Starfish and Coffee, Screams of Passion, Condition of the Heart, which is about Wendy and Susanna, The Beautiful Ones. I mean, a lot of great songs. I mean, a lot of great songs. And she was one heck of a muse and inspiration and lover. At one point, they were even engaged, but it was hot and heavy and very tumultuous. And uh, obviously it didn't end up working out. Now, Susanna is still around. She was married, not to Prince, uh, has two kids, got, which I think she was divorced in 2010, but she is still writing. She's still performing uh, with F Deluxe, AKA the family and other events, but kudos to her for being so inspiring on so many amazing songs uh, from Prince Susanna Melvoin. And uh, I hope everybody's having a good time. I'm going to actually um, refill my water here because uh, this is, this is, uh, this is, uh, yes. Dreali saying starfish and coffee is not about Susanna. Uh, I know it's not about Susanna. It's about Cynthia Rose. It's about a story that she told um, about somebody that she knew in school named Cynthia Rose. It's not about Susanna. I didn't say that. Y'all getting carried away. <laughs> again if you hear something that you think is not true or whatever i can give you reference to where whatever literature or or book or wherever i pulled it from i'm not making any of this stuff up or doing it off the top of my head i made sure that uh because i know you guys are rough on me i tell you if i ever come with any type of of information i gotta make sure that not only do i get it from a source but i need to get it from another source <laughs> and another source and then another source and another source and uh and anyways um anyways movie buff is kind of just going off saying a bunch of different things but that's okay i expect that from movie buff i will try to get you uh footnotes and references so that you can cross-reference all these things and then you can actually take to heart <laughs> whoever you want uh but it won't be me apollonia catero is the next on this list obviously the one and only Apollonia. And I actually debated, um, I actually debated about including her, but felt like you know, many people might 
hang me up to dry if I did this show without a mention of probably the first woman that most of America saw with Prince. I mean, you have to remember that for um, a lot of people, they didn't know who Prince was until Purple Rain put him on the map. I mean, there were a lot of people didn't care about anything Prince had done, hadn't heard anything Prince had done, but, you know, 1999 or before. And until Purple Rain became a household name, nobody knew who he was. And so Apollonia was probably the first woman that they had ever seen him with. And Apollonia was an actress, and she had been on a lot of TV shows, including Chips, Fantasy Island, and Knight Rider. She was also in some music videos, including The Other Woman for Ray Parker Jr. and Shaken by Eddie Money. Remember that song? Shaken. Anyways, Vanity was originally slated for the role in Purple Rain, but Vanity declined because of one, some people say it was a major fight that happened between her and Prince and others saying it was because she was offered a role in Martin Scorchegi's movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, which she took, by the way. Unfortunately, all of her parts in that movie ended up on the cutting room floor. So whatever may have happened, I don't know. Maybe he just didn't like the flow of her character, but she chose not to be chose to be in this movie instead and just it just went it's just anyways the role was then offered to jennifer beals from Flashdance fame believe it or not and she declined because she wanted to finish college now that actually worked out for her because she got her degree in american literature from yale in 1987 and then she came back into acting and she's done very well uh, you may have seen her in The L Word. She kind of plays a regular character there. And she also is, um, if you're a Star Wars fan, um, Jennifer Beals from Flashdance was also in The Book of Boba Fett. Um, in The Book of Boba Fett, there is a a bar that was very, very similar to the one in Tatooine from the original Star Wars. And she is like the the madam or the 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 owner of the, the venue. That's Jennifer Beals. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Anyways, along came Apollonia, who was dating Van Halen's lead singer, David Lee Roth, at the time. But Prince forbade her from dating anyone during the promotion of Purple Rain so that the ruse of her and Prince actually having a relationship like what was portrayed in the movie, people would kind of believe it and kind of go go from there. Um, You still see a lot of that in Hollywood today. You know, you'll see, you know, a couple couple of love story that gets made into a movie and they kind of make it look like they actually have an off-screen relationship just to kind of spark interest and to sell tickets. And anyways, uh, Apollonia and Prince never actually dated, although she did say it of the relationship. Um, this is a quote. We trusted each other, but I had a little mini crush, mini crush one time. He was performing computer blue and he was oily and shirtless. And for a moment I was like, he's really sexy. But then I got myself together And we had great chemistry, but our romance was only on screen. And I just want to clear this up, too, because there was a lot of rumor that I had heard about her and Prince's scene in the barn. And people were saying that were on set were saying that was really happening. They were really having sex and that was really going on. And, you know, obviously, you know, as time kind of passed, the truth about that actually came out where. Uh, she did an interview and she said, no, we were both wearing underwear. It was very, very close. We were both terrified. We had, hadn't really done something like this on camera. There was people all around. It was just, it was really nerve wracking and we were just terrified. There was nothing going on there. It was fine, but um, you know, 
anyways, it's just one of these things. It is what it is. Um, anyways, that chemistry as a leading lady in the movie is kind of what helped Prince deep dive into his acting and kind of make it a completely believable film. I mean, it, you know, it's had this still 80 shtick. I get it. It, it, it is, is what it is, but it, it still ended up being one of the best movies of the year, including winning stuff from the Academy Awards. So she helped him make that movie the success that it was. And she also laid vocals for a pretty great album in the form of Apollonia six too. So that's why she's here. It's kind of in a muse form for sure. Um, but she's doing fine. She's keeping a relatively quiet life for the most part, unless you set her off talking about things like lemon cake or whatever. Outside of that, Apollonia is doing fine. She's doing great. She's, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, that brings us to our next one. Let's move on, shall we? The next one, which kind of falls into muse and love, the one and only Sheila E. Now, <laughs> Um, yeah, I better take a drink of water for this one. Again, with me being the only one here tonight, I kind of have, you're going to have to bear with me while I take sips. But anyways, Sheila Escovito, AKA Sheila E drummer and percussionist extraordinaire. She had a great career even before joining Prince's world, playing percussion for the George Duke band back in the mid seventies. And by her early 20s, she had already played with not only George Duke, but also Lionel Richie, Marvin Gaye, Herbie Hancock, Diana Ross. It's just, it's just constant. And then Prince came into the picture. Prince and Andre Simone attended one of her shows when she was playing. And she was actually playing with her father, Pete Escovito. And he came up to her after the show and said, we were just fighting about which one of us was going to be first to be your husband. And he also told her on that day, she would be in his band and she would, she would come on the scene doing vocals on let's go crazy and the legendary B side erotic city. But we all know as looking back in the rearview mirror that it wouldn't stop there as she would work with Prince on her debut album, glamorous life, then romance 1600 and of course, when the revolution was disbanded by Prince for the Sign of the Times era, she was brought on by Prince as his drummer for the Sign of the Times tour. But way too many accolades, let me try that again. Let me try that word again. Accolades, way too many accolades and points to touch on with Sheila E. She's on the list because she was a huge bright torch in Prince digging his heels into... Um, I guess the South American flavor with like it's just this major focus on the usage of tabales and, and congas and a host of Latin percussive instrumentation that I, I'm, I'm really not sure that he would have gone so hard on if it wasn't for Sheila's influence. It was undeniable. And she said during a Billboard interview in 2016 that Prince proposed to her in 1987 and I already can hear butts clenching together of all the women in the chat room, because there are so many people who say that didn't happen. But anyways, she said in billboard that in 2016, that Prince proposed to her in 1987, but that during the love sexy tour in 1988 and 1989, at that point, the relationship had soured and obviously nothing came of it. And needless to say, I, I just don't have to say it, but she is very polarizing to many people. 
and there's there's a whole bunch of things that are obviously go on in the background with all of the different factions of prince between the revolution and pre-revolution and npg and in between revolution and what would what was going to be npg it's just it's some of these folks just don't get along for whatever reason it may be but um while she may be polarizing to people uh she was both a lover and a muse and she really opened up prince's sound and really helped him add some great flavor to his music and let me just go ahead and say get ready because before we move on she is sheila e is touring now and she's even got a brand new album that's going to be out soon and it's called hella funky uh, which is a picture that you're seeing right here and you guys will get this in march if you go to see her live in concert She's actually selling these CDs at the show, but nobody's going to be seeing this until um, nobody's going to be seeing it until March, I think is when it's coming out. But I'm going to do a review on this because this album is friggin' fantastic. It has got a lot of instrumental tracks on it. So you really get to hear a lot of instrumentation and just her musical chops. And it's not all about the fluff and it's, it's just, it's really good album. Get ready. This is, insane um the whole band shows off their talents including a good friend michael gabriel and it's just it's a monster it's a fantastic well album and i can't wait for you to hear it so there's that all right let's move on um oh gene says i'm going to go see her tonight at 9 30 at chicago bring an, some extra money and pick up this album it's fantastic and because you'll get it before a month before everybody else will and it's great it's really really good i'm not just saying that it's really good. Get it. All right, let's move on, shall we? This is going to be a kind of a little bit of a weird transition. I know every kind of every transition has had its kind of flow into something else, but this one's going to be a little bit of a stretch. And that is the one and only Kim Basinger. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> Kim Basinger. Mm. So this one, again, may seem like a stretch, and we're not going to spend an inordinate amount of time on her, but Prince was asked by batman director tim burton to allow him to use a couple of songs from prince's old catalog like uh 1999 but when prince visited the set to kind of get a little bit of a an idea of, of what what was going on and he laid eyes on lead actress kim basinger prince was like oh no 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 i'm i'm all in uh, we're no i'm i'm in here i'm in i'm in <laughs> i am in and so Warner Brothers actually pushed really hard to kind of back that up since they would get to double dip if Prince committed to this entire soundtrack because um, the fact of the matter is, you know, Warner Brothers would be controlling both the movie and the soundtrack. So they would be, they would make some serious money if this, if this movie did well. And of course, Tim Burton was not a fan of that. Anyways, Tim Burton only wanted to use like a couple of songs from Prince that were already recorded, like older tracks. And, um, so he, this is not really where he wanted to go, and um, it just it just wasn't. But he kind of felt like a lot of pressure, and so he ended up doing it. And um, and also, uh, there's some rumors that Jack Nicholson was also a big fan of Prince's as well. So he was kind of getting pressured from a little bit all sides, and they just did it. It, it. it was what it was. But meanwhile, Kim Basinger pretty much got Prince to get fired up for writing the entire Batman soundtrack, which many consider to be one of his best albums of that decade. Uh, but 
also working with Prince on her very own, own strange solo album. I don't know if you've heard the album that she did with, with Prince. It's, it's really weird. Um, you can find it on YouTube. Just say Kim Basinger music. or I don't, I don't know what, it, what it's called. I can't remember what it's called. But also, let's not forget, uh, he also, she also worked with him in, in various ways for the scandalous sex suite, uh, which is reported to involve a recording studio and a jar of honey. And you never really know how much of these stories are true and what's not true and what's just kind of myth and what's, or if people just, you just need to never know. You never know what these stories are. It's just, uh, whatever. It's just, it's just, is what it is. Obviously, Kim is still doing very well acting in film and TV. Enough said. Let's just leave it at that. Let's move on to the next. And that is next up, Cat Glover. Dance, dancer, choreographer. And, uh, you know, many people may or may not know this, but she's also sister of the actor Danny Glover, I might add. Now, Cat was someone who kind of kicked open the door for Prince's foray into rap. Um, which Prince was kind of railing against in songs like dead on it. Um, even though funny enough, he was railing on it and dead on it, but she, he also let her rap on Cindy C on the black album, but she was a background vocalist on the sign of the times tour. And she came out front in a very, very big way on the love sexy tour, along with rapping on alphabet street. Uh, there was a sexual relationship there, which she talks about very uh, frequently in a lot of interviews that you could hear from her. Uh, my good friend, Michael Dean did a pretty sizable interview with her that she kind of tells a lot of different stories. Um, but there was a lot of which kind of led to some speculation and you, I'm going to let you guys look this up, but um, both her son Capriccio Caesar and her daughter both suspiciously look a lot like they both have some very distinguishing Prince features. And it kind of caused a lot of folks to question whether or not he's the father, but she insists he is not the father of my kids, but there's just this look that especially Capriccio Caesar, you can look him up on Facebook. A lot of people have with him. I think, I think that's what's going on. Cause they, they put these side by side pictures and it's just like, yeah, but you know, come on. It's, I don't see it, but you know, people are just trying to figure, just trying to find all types of controversy anywhere they go. So just let it be. It's not happening. Their relationship was very loose. Um, and the reason she's here on this list is mainly because she really kind of caused Prince to take a deeper look at rap in general and also really made him reignite that, um, erratic energy that, he had on stage because I mean, not that he ever kind of toned it down. He was always just kind of, he really kind of was finding his flow, but Prince never had an issue with putting on an amazing show. We all know that. But when you share a stage with Kat, you kind of have no choice but to keep up with her or, or you're simply just going to get upstaged. It's just, no, I mean, she just had that over the top energy which was nothing, nothing short of, of a beast. <laughs> she was just a beast. Uh, meanwhile, she is doing well and uh, performing and doing choreography between here and uh, in the States and London. So she's doing fine for herself and um, a lot of great, great interviews and stuff that she's just got a very, 
just as, as Zakia says, her energy is very, very raw. So let's go on to the next one, shall we? Which I'm really not sure that she crosses over into lover or not. I don't think it was. If it was, it was very, I, I don't know. Let's just go on. The next one is Ingrid Chavez. Now, all right, Ingrid. Good friend of the show. She's been on this show, I think three or four times she's been on the show. But we are going to close out the 80s with her. Uh, this is going to be the last one that we talk about in the 80s. Now, if you did not tune into the beginning of the show, I said there's a ton of people that we are we did not cover because it was just, you know, people like Martika and Shaka Khan. And just it's just like a, it's a laundry list of women that he worked with. But and they don't really kind of qualify as muses. They were just kind of like an outlet for him to kind of do different things. I think Chuck Khan may have probably qualified for a muse, but there was she has been very, very forward in a lot of her interviews, just indicating that she, you know, she had no interest in Princeton whatsoever. So it just kind of, you know, spun her out of the muse list. I don't know. Um, so I had to be really, really selective. And of course, when you start to get to, you know, almost 30 pages of, of text and things that you're trying to cover here, it's just, it becomes a nightmare and you just got to be really a little bit more selective. Uh, but all that being said, we're going to close out the eighties here with Ingrid Chavez, writer, performer, poet, singer, just, uh, I, I, I came up with this word that I, I feel like fits her really well soul centrist you like that i kind of like that i like the feel of that but she came into prince's life when prince was in a very dark place he had just completed the black album which was set to release and then he happened to he got everything wrapped up everything was going to be released and then he went into a club and he met ingrid at the club and she tells the whole story at the one of the first interviews that i did with her uh, years ago but he immediately vibed with Ingrid and she just had this calming nature and this intense spirituality that really just kind of shifted Prince back into alignment. And she was single-handedly responsible for him pretty much deciding to kind of pull out of the release of the black album and head back into the studio to quickly put together love sexy. Now, a lot of people will deny that a lot of people will say Prince was going to do what Prince is going to do. That's fine. I get it. The timing of that, though, the timing of Ingrid coming into his life and what was going on and her positioning of where she was and the spirituality that she brought into that whole scene totally changed the direction for him. Completely. Completely changed. Um, and this, you know, if you think about it, Everything that Ingrid, <laughs> Ingrid was love sexy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not only did she become, we'll, we'll talk about Graffiti Bridge in a second, but, you know, he even put Ingrid on love sexy. So as he's scrapping the black album and now he's trying to push together all these songs to create the love sexy album, she actually, he actually put her onto the album. You remember her voice opens up the album. Rain is wet. Sugar is sweet. Clap your hands. Y'all say it. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Stop your feet. Plus, she additionally was placed in the role of an angel in the movie Graffiti Bridge, 
that both Morris Day and Prince were competing for and kind of, you know, and her character ended up, well, I don't want to ruin the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, but she wrestled with an SUV. So let's just leave it there. Uh, she's here because I feel like she inspired the entire album of Love Sexy, like the entire album. And she was enough of an, imp- and, and I know that there are songs that are in there that were inspired by other, I, I get it, I get it. But I kind of feel like the whole vibe and the whole nature of that album really just kind of spun on an axis because of the timing of Ingrid coming in there. I just, just in it, I, I don't know. She was enough of an impression on uh, on him to get cast into Graffiti Bridge and inspire even more great music. So she's still recording her music to this day, and um, she's still got some great stuff. A lot of people don't know this, but um, Madonna's song, Justify My Love, was written by Ingrid Chavez. And um, Ingrid, I, I think, you know, there was a whole bunch of things that happened where she ended up not getting writing credit for it, even though she wrote the song. And, uh, and now that's all kind of been rectified, which is great. So there's all kinds of really cool remixes of, of that song. And, and, um, she's just got some really, really cool things. But anyways, that all being said, Ingrid Chavez, she's on this list, but I wanted to take one more stop before we leave the eighties. Uh, I don't really know if this kind of qualifies as a muse, uh, or definitely not a lover, but I, 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 I don't, I don't feel like I can leave the eighties without giving a quick shout out to the one and only Bonnie Boyer. Um, keyboardist, vocalist, extraordinaire, Bonnie Boyer. She played with Sheila E and, um, she came along with Sheila when Prince disbanded the revolution and she performed on both love sexy and graffiti bridge. And she also left his touring band after the love sexy tour. But I want to make sure that, I mentioned her because her contributions to the vocal delivery and the powerhouse presence that she contributed to Prince's sound, I, I really kind of feel is undeniable. She also passed away of a brain aneurysm, but this was back in 1996. But um, I, I'm not going to do a, a whole big story on her, but I do want to say, um, I do want to say that I didn't want to go finish out the 80s without giving a shout out to Body Boyer. That's all I was doing. So. Now, <clears throat> that all being said, let's move on to 1990s, shall we? <laughs> all right, 1990s, let's do it. Who's going to be first in 1990? I've already seen some of you guys already talking about it, and I've saw her name pass, <laughs> pass by in the chat area already. The first woman of 1990 is the one and only Robin Power. Yes, yes, yes. And she was a guest that we had on our show just was what like two episodes ago. She was on the show, and man, she had some crazy stories. Uh, if you want to hear some insane um, sexually related stories to Prince and some of the background, uh, go back a couple of episodes for Funkatopia Live when we had her on the show, and she divulged a bunch of stuff, <laughs> um, serious sexy stories. Uh, started out as an actress in many movies. Uh, she also oh, did a lot of dancing too, but she was uh, acted in the movie coming to America. Um, she was also been in tons of, she, she kind of found her niche in rap videos. She was in um, ice cubes. Today was a good day. Young MC's bust move and NWA. So I mean, she was, she kind of found her a little bit of a niche. And I guess, 
what the story that she told was that Prince actually saw her in bust a move young MC's bust a move video. And Prince said, I, I want to, I want to her to, I want to work with her. Now Robin is here because she was very much in a loose relationship with Prince and had her say in a variety of situations. Plus she kind of kept a never ending flow of women into his bedroom and kept his creative juices flowing. Like, I mean, which ultimately kind of helped inspire many sexually charged hits, including sexy MF cream, get off. I mean, she was like his madam, his lover and his pimp. It was, it was like, it was just all, it was, it was all there. It was just, uh, Oh my God. It's just insane. Uh, she even had an album that she made with Prince. Uh, one of the songs from that album ended up in graffiti bridge of the song called number one, you may remember it was a pretty intense scene where she is actually performing a strip tease for Morris Day while she's uh, singing the song number one. Um, I won't be number four and I won't be number three. Uh, anyways, yes, she's on this list and she's still performing and creating music to this day and creating audio erotica. And she just kind of really just fed into his sexual energy that really kind of pushed out a lot of I mean, just, just ridiculous. Uh, but anyways, it's unfortunate because that album that uh, she had put together with Prince, and on top of that, there's even a bunch of video clips that are out there of them actually working out the dance routines for the performances, I guess, that they were going to perform in Glam Slam and different. I don't know what they were going to do with it. Uh, but there was a bunch of stuff that was going on. Unfortunately, that album didn't get released, because unfortunately, I said unfortunately like three times, she was upstaged by the next person on our list, the one and only Carmen Electra. Yeah, Carmen. She was Tara Lee Patrick before Prince renamed her Carmen Electra. And she moved to Minneapolis and started both a relationship and a career with Prince. She recorded her solo album shown here on this photo here. And uh, it was a rap album. And I don't know if he felt that she was a better rapper than Robin or what it was, but there was something else going on. And um, yeah, it was what, you know, kind of broke out onto the scene as a rapper, uh, even though she was, she's models to this day. So for a small bit of time, she was a good muse for Prince, but she didn't really get his best work. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, I don't really feel like she got her best work, his best work um, as far as what he passed on to her to work on. Like, you know, some people, you know, you, some songs that he had were just unbelievable and it doesn't matter who does them. They're going to be fantastic. I just don't really feel like she really got a lot of his good stuff. Ultimately she decided that she wanted to move back to LA but Prince didn't want to live there, even though he would have a home there later. But when she refused to flee to L.A. with her, well, when he refused to flee to L.A. with her, she basically cut it off with him. That's right. She cut it off with Prince. And ultimately, it was Prince that influenced her because he managed everything with Carmen Electra. He was really controlling with Carmen. Uh, how she walked, how she dressed, how she talked, when she made appearances, what she said. And according to her, she loved it. She said he controlled everything. 
but I love that about him. How I dressed, the music, hairstyles. He was a genius at all that. Uh, needless to say, she got married to Dennis Rodman in the late 90s, guitarist Dave Navarro, musician Rob Patterson, and she even, <laughs> she even dated Simon Cowell in 2012. Uh, her career is now mostly as a model with some appearances on TV shows, but she's, again, Carmen's doing fine. Um, she's doing fine. Which kind of, and I, I just saw somebody mention Anna Fantastic. That was somebody that I, I, I could have listed here, but it's like, you know, I, you, you try to kind of figure out some of this stuff and, you know, who should be included and who should not. But Prince had so many women in his life. This was a very, very difficult list to put, put together. But this next person on this list is without a doubt somebody that, I mean, if you're going to create a list, even of the top three women in his life, this is one, the one and only Maite Garcia. All right. It's hard to be quick with the next one here, which ultimately became his first wife, Maite. Born November 12th, 1973. I think it's crazy that I'm older than Maite. That I'm five years older than Maite still blows my mind, but that's fine. Um, makes me love her even more. But I'm going to keep the story short here because with Maite, there is there is a lot to cover here. There is a lot to cover. But for newbies, she first came on to the scene via a videotape that her mother sent in to show Prince. Um, but at the time, she was way too young. But Prince still had her dance in the Diamonds and Pearls tour in 1990. And then she became the focus of his next album, the Love Symbol album, where she played, uh, she even played the part of a, an Egyptian princess from the for the concept album in the Three Chains of Gold video compilation. Um, and again, he kept it strictly professional until she turned eighteen, and then their relationship kind of really changed into um, into a romantic one. And she does actually have a fantastic book. Yes, I see somebody mentioning the book in the chat room right now, um, called The Most Beautiful. And it is, it's really a jaw-dropping book. So pick it up if you really kind of want to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, some of that jealousy and some of the things that you're just like, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, really? Um, it's a pretty intense book. But all that being said, Prince of Maite got married, and she was his first wife. She also became pregnant with their son, Amir, who died shortly after childbirth. and um, it, that really kind of caused a major chasm in their relationship. But if we want to talk about inspiration, talk about she is probably by far the one that inspired the most songs. I know we kind of said Susanna Melvoin really kind of has a laundry list of songs that she inspired. But Maite, uh, he really kind of got into a big writing um, mode here. I mean, when you're in love the way that they were in love, and as impassioned as they were impassioned, it, Prince just went into it. it. I mean, hard. And I mean, she inspired the most beautiful girl in the world. The one, the ride, whenever you go, whatever you do, I love you, but I don't trust you anymore. She gave her angels. And of course, almost all the love symbol album. And, and, and many say a lot of the rave unto the joy, fantastic album as well, which is kind of, I guess, uh, apparently like a diss album. It's got some diss songs on it. 
I mean, I've never really listened to it under that guise. I mean, as far as, you know, really considering who, who it is that he's kind of speaking of, you know, you kind of listen to the content sometimes and, you know, that's really kind of some of the twist, you know, because unless Prince writes down somewhere on a document somewhere in a book or says it publicly that this song is about this person, this is exactly where it is. A lot of times, a lot of this stuff is speculation, but you kind of have to just take people for their word on some of this stuff. But there's a lot of things on here. But all in all, many say that even to this day, the Maite is easily by far Prince's truest soulmate, despite the age difference between them. And to this day, she is still a dancer and a performer. Uh, she makes frequent appearances. And um, you can, again, Pick up her book. It's fantastic. If you don't like carrying books, you don't like the feel of paper or whatever your your deal is, you can get it on your Kindle, whatever it was. Just get it. It's phenomenal. It's called The Most Beautiful. Pick it up. It's available pretty much everywhere, and it's an incredible read. And, um, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, All right. Now, I'm going to do the same thing for the 90s that I did for the 80s, which is I'm going to exit out of the 90s here. Again, I, I've already, I see names going by. Oh, where's Nona Gay? Where's this? I, I, I get it. Again, I can't cover everybody. There's so many people in here that I just simply just, I, you know, I have to pick and choose. But uh, some things I just kind of had to take artistic license and just say, I'm going to take a moment to recognize this person um, and before we leave out of the nineties and go to the two thousands, I'm going to take this moment to do a shout out to one more person. And that is Rosie Gaines. This is my final shout out before we leave the nineties. And it is, you know, you know, the incomparable Rosie Gaines. You cannot hold a torch to those crazy, powerful vocals on diamonds and pearls. I mean, plus. She was also on songs like Get Off and Cream as well. She is just, she was a monster. Oh, my God. She joined Prince on tour during the new tour and was also in Graffiti Bridge. But I can't let her go by without a mention because she allowed Prince to become more comfortable taking chances of handing over the mic. And that was a big deal. I mean, there's not a lot of people that get on the mic and share a song with Prince and outshine him. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen that often. And lightning struck with Rosie. I just, it's just anyways, um, all in all, she's had some serious health issues, but she is still with us. She's doing well. Uh, uh, according to her daughter, she decided to kind of step away from performing. So, um, uh, hold tightly onto those legacy performances. Um, I just, you know, I have not heard any other updates. I've just heard that she's been doing, doing very, she's still doing well. And she's just kind of just, um, you know, is what it is. All right. <sighs> Let's move on to the 2000, shall we? Um, I'm going to be moving quickly through some of these as well, but uh we got to start off the 2000s with the one and only Manuela Testolini. Um, we start the 2000s with her because she ultimately became a second wife and they remained married from 2001 to 2006. Uh, the relationship was a 
bit more difficult, but um, she, I mean, they were married. If, I mean, you look at the timeline, they were married longer than I, I guess Maite was. That was a five years, 2001 to 2006 was still a pretty long period of time. Um, but they also had like a, it was also very up and down. Um, even though the relationship was a little bit more difficult, the same time it was kind of self-moving because she was already, she was already a businesswoman. So she was kind of completely self-reliant, which was maybe something that Prince might not have been used to since he was kind of, he was always kind of in, in that control position, I guess, but he definitely loved her. And at this point in his life, he'd kind of matured quite a bit and he was very protective um, of her as well. Uh, but the divorce was very ugly uh, with Prince cutting off this. I, I, I read some of this stuff. and was like, I've got to, I have to find a, a second notation of some of this stuff because I'm going to say it and people are going to say bull crap. Uh, but he, during the divorce, he cut up, uh, he cut off all of Testolini's credit cards, which, you know, I, I can see that that's, that's not normal. He boxed up her stuff and he locked it in the Paisley park vault for quote unquote safekeeping. And then to make sure that no memories were left over, Prince reportedly tore down the house. Like to the studs, he <laughs> just tore down the house. I was like, certainly that's not true. Certainly that's not true. And I read it somewhere else, and I was like, okay, I I don't remember seeing that anywhere, but <laughs> okay, it's there. Uh, but Prince was a true romantic. Obviously, during this period, he wrote some very deep music and Manuela inspired songs like "The Dance" and "Call My Name," um, but. She's currently overseeing some charitable ventures that her and Prince had started called uh, In a Perfect World that was designed to empower kids to change the world uh, through art and mentorship and education. And um, she was also married to musician Eric Benet uh, in 2011, but they parted ways also. But she's still out there doing her thing, and uh, she's makes appearances here and there, but she's not one to just kind of be out front. Um, this is probably, I would have to say, this is probably one of these relationships that was very quiet. He was, I think at this point, he kind of decided that I just don't want to be very, very public about it. Um, you know, so I don't know. I'm seeing Cammy said, I heard that she wanted the house. So he tore it down and sent it to her. <laughs> That story just gets crazier every time somebody adds peace to it. All right, let's go on to the next person. We're leaving Manuela behind, but, uh, you know, he he was definitely, he was married to her. What are you going to say? All right, let's move on. The next person in the list, Andy Allo. Yeah. After Prince's marriage to Manuela kind of fell apart, he definitely became more secretive about his relationships, but it was obvious that he was smitten with Andy Allo. Like, kind of like most women in, in his life, when he had feelings for them, he wrote music for and or with them. And really Andy Allo was no different, but their relationship was kept very quiet, especially since he was telling media outlets that he was remaining celibate to focus. He's like, I'm not having sex. I'm just, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I'm remaining celibate. So, you know, people were like, Oh, you know, he said he's not having sex. He's saying he's going to, he's staying celibate. 
Uh, he's also made the announcement on the on the One Night Alone tour. He's not cursing from the stage anymore. It's a totally different man. He's more religious. He's more focused. Blah 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 blah. And so, if there was anything that was going on in the background, people were just you know, people were just like turned away. I was like, oh well, you know, that's what he said. So it must be true. Um, <laughs> however, things kept leaking out. In, little pieces of information kept linking out, like uh, of this love letter that Andy Allo had written to Prince on hotel stationery. And yes, I actually have a picture of one of the pages from that love letter. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, but I won't read the full letter here because you know it is what it is. It's kind of a it's kind of a private letter. It's out there, so it's not really private. But you know, statements like "I will never forget the past two nights." And, you know, closing with direct statements like, I love you. I mean, obviously indicated that there was, they, they were very much into each other and truly in their feelings for sure. Uh, she released a solo album called Superconductor, which, um, which is an amazing collection of music with outstanding production that her and Prince worked on together. And, and I might add, she was also on Funkatopia where she did a radio takeover. She took over the radio. Uh, station and she actually did a whole thing where she kind of shared some of the music that were was primary inspiration to her this was when prince was with us um i believe prince had asked her to come on the show and so she did and she took over the radio show which was really really cool um and she also did a lot of behind the scenes secrets about how the album was put together um like it told us little things that we had never known like the song when stars collide uh, from that album and Prince's song, what it feels like were actually recorded together. So if you take when stars collide and what it feels like, and you put them together, it really, it makes one full song. And I, I didn't put the two together. And then after she told me this was many years ago, uh, after she told me that I put them together and I played them together frequently on sometimes on the radio show. Um, and, they sound really cool back to back. So if you happen to get a wild hair, get Andy Allo's When Stars Collide and Prince's What It Feels Like and put them together because they were meant to be together because they were recorded together pretty much as one song. Uh, but for some reason or whatever, they went onto separate albums. So, but again, they fit together beautifully. All in all, Andy is a big inspiration because she is a true artist. I mean, her, I don't know if you guys have ever seen her play in concert, but she is, her guitar skills are amazing. Um, she just has that, you know, people play guitar and they just kind of have that flow, especially that acoustic flow where it's just, you know, it's not playing chords. It's not just, you know, she's not watching her fingers. It's just a flow. You're just kind of vibing. Um, her songwriting skills can easily stand on their own. Uh, but she has allowed herself to kind of be used as an outlet for Prince during a very tumultuous time in his life. And um, I, I feel like she deserved a spot here. So, and she's got a great voice. Yes, it's true. Another person that deserves uh, to get kind of a mention in here that I have not mentioned any in this mix, but kind of falls in that same, same vibe, but it was not a loving relationship was uh, Leanne Lahabas. I, I did not mention her. Um, She's not on this list, but Leanne Lehavis is another one of these artists that is just unreal. Um, I don't really think that she really kind of qualified as, as a muse for Prince. Uh, definitely not a lover either, but 
Prince really loved her work and really, you know, at one point in time, I don't remember what year it was that he had actually um, played in her living room, like came to her house and played in her living room to her and some friends. So pretty cool. Um, yes. And I also see Tamar being mentioned. I did mention Tamar at the beginning of the, the show um, and um, some of the work that, that, that she's done, but Again, I didn't put her on the list. I can't, I just literally can't talk about every single person that he's been involved with, especially since his career is so heavy with women. It's just, if you look at the men, the amount of men he's played with and the amount of women he's played with, yeah, that's pretty much is it's like 80, 20. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it does make sense. I mean, (laughs) he knew what he's doing. Uh, all right, let's move on to, uh, we only have a few more entries here and then we made it to the list. I'm actually surprised we made it through this quick. So we'll actually talk about some news after we get done some, some of the stuff, but I hope you guys are having a good time. I hope you guys are not, you know, kind of going down the, um, going down the, anyways, anyways, let's talk about this next group of women. And I kind of lumped them together because I kind of feel like, they are like superheroes. <laughs> that is Liv Warfield, Shelby J, and Elisa Fiorello. Um, these three women together are a power house. Um, I just need to give, I, I wanted to make sure that these three women were on these lists together because they are absolutely worthy of a muse shout out these this they are yes the thank you kiaria they are the trifecta they are a powerhouse trio that kind of came into the fold and created this unbelievable dynamic background vocal sound that he's never had before end of end of story there has not been a, a set of background vocalists that he has had during during his mix that could come close to the sound and the um, I'm just trying to think of the right word. I, when I go off script, it, you know, I, Shelby and Liv and Elisa, when they came together, it was just, it was just, um, that it just is what it is. But each of them have their own stories about where they began, but what these three incredible women brought to the stage and to the studio recordings, it's just, it's just undeniable. Their vocals are all over the place. You know, later recordings, including including the posthumous release of Welcome to America, but their just sound was so big and bold in a way like an entire horn section fills up the sound on the stage. It's just, it's just, it's just so huge. And the harmonics and everything that somebody just said harmonics right as I was saying it. Um, each of them are still performing, you know, you know. Liv and Shelby are extremely active and all of them are having very successful runs in their solo careers. Uh, Audrey, I see you're in here. Audrey was telling me that Liv is on, is on some next level stuff right now. Like what she, what Liv is doing right now is, is Audrey said is, is just next level. I have not been able to see her current shows, but I have seen Liv perform uh, a few times. And when I saw her perform in, in Atlanta here, I was just like, I don't know what's happening here because it's just, it just it just is what it is. It's just crazy. 
So anyways, shout out to these guys. Next level for sure. And they all deserve to be on this muse list. I keep on seeing all of these people being, you know, mentioned, you know, especially dancers. And I see the twins being mentioned here. And there are so many people that we can talk about. I, I, I just, I couldn't talk about them all. It just, I mean, it already took me like two weeks to even put together this list as it was. So it is what it is. Um, sorry if you kind of feel like we kind of should have represented some, some other folks. Um, but that's the reality of it. I do have a couple more for you though. And, um, the next one is another threesome, and that threesome is the ladies that comprised of Third Eye Girl. Um, Donna Grantis, Ida Nielsen, Hannah Ford. Prince had a vision for a true rock project, and instead of digging into the dude pool for his rockers, he went to find the most rocking women that he could find. And he sent his folks to seek them out via YouTube and wherever he could find the best for the job. And boy, did they do a great job. I think it, when it first started out, it was kind of a little bit, um, it was just a little bit more raw. Um, it didn't seem like, you know, it just didn't have that polished sound that everybody had become accustomed to with some of the stuff that Prince had put out before. But when they found their niche and when they found their groove, it was just... <sighs> Come on, shut up. That the heavy raw, raw rock sound that he was able to generate with these women was staggering and brash. I'm not saying that, oh my gosh, women are creating rock. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that is that sound that they were able to that they were able to create as that small unit was just ridiculous. And they inspired him to write not one, but kind of two albums, one that, you know, that they would be involved in and one that, you know, he was kind of doing off to the side, but there were like elements of some of the jam sessions and things that they were doing that kind of trickled into what was, what would become artificial age. And the one that had their contributions on it was obviously Plectrum Electrum and also artificial age, both of which were released at the exact same time. And, um, if they were having a rogue jam session, some of that stuff would just create, it, it was just like this big boiling pot of music and it was phenomenal. But what was even more impressive is that he also took the girls with him to Montreux Jazz Festival where it was just like, oh, I think this may be, this may be outside of their, this, this may be going too deep but they proved everybody wrong and they showed that they could capably play alongside some very intricate and varied musical compositions of some of his classics. And they just, this is like a huge place full of jazz enthusiasts and, and people were just like sitting there slack jawed or just like, what is happening here? And I mean, these are pretty particular and picky folks and they were just like blown away. And between some of the stuff that they were doing and the nightly jam sessions that they recorded and the, the randomly popping up on Facebook or randomly popping up on YouTube video sessions that would disappear as fast as they appeared. I mean, you always had to be ready no matter where they are. But I got to say, huge props to one of my favorite Prince iterations, which is Third Eye Girl. And not just Plectrum Electrum, but the many iconic jam sessions that are out there like Menstrual Cycle and Octopus Heart, which luckily, you know, you can find on vinyl and 
in not official format, but they're out there and you can actually find them on YouTube too. If you really look hard enough, but there are so many great jam sessions of this band that I hope find, find their way into an official release because some of that stuff is just instrumental, full blown magic. And I'm hoping that that stuff finds itself out because it was just, it's just incredible. And if you really do love that stuff and you want some of that music in an official capacity, I would highly suggest picking up Donna Grantis's last album um, because it was just like those third eye girl instrumental jam sessions that everybody loved. Like the ones I'm talking about with um, octopus heart and whatnot. It, it was like, it was like cut from that same cloth and it, that album was just incredible. I mean, all of them are true blue muses and they're still actively performing in their own solo space. Um, Ida Nilsson still plays with her funk project overseas regularly. Uh, Hannah and her husband actively work in their online ministry. They, they will be done. Um, and Hannah is always jamming, including uh, who, who I'm sure some people watched the Super Bowl last night. There was a commercial that played a couple times with Foo Fighters, uh, Dave Grohl, where he's talking about all the great stuff that came from Canada. He was like, football came from Canada and this came from Canada. While this guitar is screaming in the background in this recording studio, guess who was playing that guitar? That's right, Donna Grantis. And there was actually like a, def- uh, a behind the scenes uh, clip that appeared before that actual commercial came out. So you never really got to see Donna in that commercial, but that's her wailing on the guitar in that Dave Grohl commercial. So little tidbit for you on that. Um, YouTube it. Listen, enjoy, or just look for Dave Grohl, Donna Grantis, and you'll, you'll find a, that video, that original video clip that kind of actually did show her well in a way. So very, very cool. All right. Let's close it up. We're closing up 2000. I see. Robin Powers in the house. We talked about you, girl, but that was that was a little bit back. So you have probably had to rewind to get to that. It's all good. And again, I apologize. We've got one more person to talk about. And I apologize uh, if we didn't cover everybody. I know we didn't cover everybody because we just can't cover everybody. It's just not freaking possible. It's just there can't. You just can't. You just can't. I mean, it's just, it just can't. So let's go ahead and close it out, shall we? With one more final person by the name of the one and only Judith Hill. Now, Judith is another polarizing figure only because of her positioning and the timing of the relationship. Um, I'll just leave it at that for now. She is the last muse and lover in this list. She falls into both. Judith Hill. She was stunningly gorgeous, credible voice. And matter of fact, Prince actually discovered her when he saw her on the competition reality show, The Voice. Uh, if I remember reading correctly, that's what it was. But she was way more accomplished than just a pretty woman with an incredible vocal, with incredible vocal chops. I, I don't know if anybody has ever, ever seen um judith in concert which i got an opportunity to see her for the first time in atlanta just a few weeks ago and i sat there with my mouth open the whole entire time like i ordered something to eat and i didn't even get to eat it because i couldn't take my eyes off of her because she is a master on both guitars 
uh, and keyboards. And uh, on top of that, she also has unwavering support from her parents. Her father is an incredible bass player and her mother is a talented and funky keyboard player. I mean, it's ridiculous. All of which are heavily ingrained into her very being. I mean, she breathes funk. You know, some be people that just like get on stage and they just, just kind of play and it's like, I'm right, just playing. And then there's other people who become the music. They become the song. They, they are in the moment. Like you cannot separate the person from the song and from the music and from the instrument. It's just, they meld with everything. And that is exactly what Judith Hill brought to the stage when I saw her perform. And I assume that she does it every single time she gets on stage, but Prince brought her on board into his purple world and even put his touches and stamp on her album back in time, um, which is an incredible album that they actually gave away for, they gave the album away for free back for a while. I mean, just because Prince was trying to market or whatever. Um, but it really did showcase all of her amazing talents along with Prince providing guitar and vocals on some of the tracks. And that one, that one, uh, I can't remember which song it was. I think it's the second one where Prince is like screaming. This <laughs> is like, oh, he is so amazing. Oh, I just want to be, I want to be your friend. Um, but yeah, this is another relationship that was very much kept on the down low. But um, they had a relationship. She pretty much went wherever he went, and she traveled with him frequently, including, including that fateful night coming back from his final concert, his final concert ever in Atlanta when they had to do that emergency landing in um, Moline, Illinois, when Prince went unconscious due to you know his first serious bout with fentanyl. Judith was, she was there in the plane. And she was also, but on the same token, she was also a very solid pillar in Prince's life. I mean, because she was, she's pretty much a clean, clean freak. Um, her drug, is music, which it was, it is for Prince too, you know, so they're cut from the same cloth in that regard, but she did what she could to kind of keep him in line. And um, in actuality, the reality of it is that her quick actions on that flight also gave us a few more days with him. Um, if she wasn't there, I mean, they were in the middle of a conversation and he just went unconscious according to the interview that she did with, I think it was people. Um, she admitted to People Magazine that indeed they did have an intimate relationship and that um, he not only helped her with that album, but he also helped her negotiate her record contract. And, you know, it was just, you know, uh, the quote from People Magazine was, there was a very intense relationship. I deeply cared for him. Um, and he, she admitted that before he died, in quotes, he told me that he loved me and that he would always be there for me, obviously. That was a promise that he couldn't keep, but she was there for him and he, she tried her best to kind of be a support for him and to assist him trying to get him the help that he needed. But it was just, it was just too late. I mean, and this woman has been through it all, not only you know with everything that has gone on, but she was also, uh, she also was a vocalist for Michael Jackson who had a similar overdose situation. That was obviously not similar. Let me, let me remove the word similar, but they both died of overdoses. So she kind of suffered greatly losing two legendary performers who believed in her. And um, she served as a muse for both of them in some form or fashion, obviously more intimate with Prince. Um, but she is still releasing albums to this day and actively touring with her parents in her, with her parents in her band. And they are incredible. 
her father still plays bass her mother plays keyboards and she also has a drummer and it's her and that's it that's all it's a four-piece band and they're phenomenal um, if you head to our facebook page facebook.com funkatopia and you click on the video tab uh, you can see some clips that i took from the atlanta show and i actually have a bunch more that i can actually share that i'll drop at a later time but i've got to talk to her first and see if it's cool if, if she's okay with me kind of putting up more clips but if you get a chance to see her, she's incredible and a shockingly amazing musician to boot. I had no idea she had chops like that. That is it. We stopped there. And now it's our job to keep things going. We are all lucky enough to have him, Prince, as our muse for generations to come through all of his music that he's kind of left behind for us. And so um, that was my muse and lover's list of Prince. Yes, I could have done more, but when you kind of look up and you're almost at 30 pages, you're like, I don't, this is going to go on till midnight. There's like, no, there's like, no way. There's like, no way. Um, because again, we can talk about all of the vast amount of, of artists that he's worked with. And again, when we started the show, you know, we had talked about the people like Leanne, the Havis, and we had talked about, you know, the, the Shaka Khans and the Martikas um, and the Moni Love, and the Stevie Nicks and the Tamar and Janelle Monet and Sheena Easton and Nona Gay and Anna Fanta. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just like the list just kept going and going and going and going and going. And it was like, there's no way, there's just no way you can talk about all these people um, and have it be, you know, where people just kind of fall off or, or just, yeah, it's just, it's just too much. Um, and a lot of the truth of the matter is you, know, you get to people like Martika and stuff like that, where Prince has worked with them and Shanae O'Connor or you know, people like, you know, their stories there for sure, but they weren't really muses. They were people that kind of Prince had music that worked for that particular artist. And it wasn't really a muse type of thing. It was just, you know, so I, I just had to be really, really selective. And yes, probably you're right. There's probably, it's probably a couple in there that I probably could have done, but you know, it is what it is. But anyways, and I wanted to make sure that we had some public stuff. And I also realized that I did see in the chat that there were some people in there were saying that song's not about her or that's, I don't think that's right. Everything that you heard me say tonight can be backed up by either books or publications that are out there. I didn't make any of this stuff up off of my, off the top of my head. All this stuff came from sources. And if I thought something was a little strange or I questioned it, I found yet another source. So if there's something specific that you wanted to me to reference or footnote after the show, shoot me an email to funkatopia at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to uh, send you the references of where I got that information. I'll be more than happy without a shadow of a doubt. Hope you guys had a fun and amazing time. I certainly, certainly enjoyed having you guys uh, join us. We will see you guys soon, hopefully sooner rather than later, but have an amazing Valentine's Day. Love all you guys. Good night. Bye-bye.